I invite you to take your Bibles and we're going to read from the same psalm that we've just sung from, Psalm 2. This afternoon we're going to be looking at what the church confesses in Lord's Day 19 about Jesus having ascended into heaven who now sits at the right hand of the Father and as he does so he he is we can read about from Psalm 2 about how he has control over all nations. So let's read from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all who put their trust in him. So far from the Old Testament, let's also turn to the New Testament, to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And let's read from Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16. Revelation 19 gives us a picture of the final judgment and we have a picture of the Lord Jesus Revelation 19 verse 11 now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he might strike the nations, and he himself will rule them, with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So far a reading from Revelation 19. I invite you also to take your books of praise and turn to Lord's Day 19, which we'll be looking at this afternoon. 
Last week in Lord's Day 18, we saw what it meant that Jesus has ascended into heaven. Now the Catechism explains the next phrase of the Apostles' Creed, where it says that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Lord's Day 19, why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church, through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await, as judge from heaven, the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. Well, I wonder this afternoon, when you think of a mighty warrior, when you think of a, a powerful soldier or army commander, how does it make you feel? Do you feel frightened, perhaps? Do you feel fear when you see an aggressive display of power? Does it make you realize how weak you are compared to the mighty strength of a soldier? How does it make you feel? Well, boys and girls, have you heard the story of David and Goliath? Goliath was, was a giant. He was one of the strongest soldiers there ever was. The Bible says that he wore heavy war equipment and every day he, he stood in front of the armies of Israel and he, he taunted them, he scared them. He came out in front of them and he flexed his muscles and he said, look at me, look at how strong I am. Come and fight me if you dare. He reveled in his own strength. And you know how the army from Israel reacted. The armies of Israel, the Bible says, that when Saul and Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Terrified, that was their reaction to the, to the flagrant display of power to the might of Goliath. They saw him, the mighty warrior, and they were full of fear. Well, brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that Jesus is also a mighty warrior. Maybe this is not how you normally think of Jesus. But this is a description that the Bible gives of him. In Revelation 19, we read the description of Jesus riding the white horse, leading the armies of heaven. He's a warrior. It's an image which inspires fear. He is a mighty warrior, an army commander. And this image of Jesus as a, a mighty warrior, it helps us to understand Lord's Day 19 as Jesus sits at his Father's right hand and will come to judge the living and the dead. Because as a mighty army commander, Jesus will come to judge the earth. He is the one who is most to be feared. Much more than the Israelites feared Goliath, Jesus needs to be feared. 
But as the people of God, we also confess that this same powerful warrior, Jesus, is our Savior. The mighty warrior died as a criminal on a cross. He took the punishment which we deserve, a punishment that he will pour out on all those who do not believe in him, which is a fearful punishment. He took that punishment for all who believe in him. And because he is our Savior, we do not need to be afraid of him. In fact, when we consider the great power of Jesus, his power is a comfort to us. Goliath was a fearful soldier to the Israelites. He inspired fear in all of the Israelites, but he was actually comforting for the Philistines. He was a hero for the Philistines because he was on their side. They weren't afraid of him. They were comforted by his might and they actually boasted in his might. And in a similar way, we can be comforted by the might of our military commander, Jesus Christ. Because he is not fighting against us, but his mighty power as he sits on his father's right hand is used for us. He is on our side and so we can be comforted by his might. We can boast in his power. And so this afternoon as we look at Lord's Day 19, we'll see that this confession gives us great comfort for all of those who find refuge in this mighty warrior. And so I'd like to summarize the message this afternoon with this title, My Savior Jesus is the Mighty Army Commander. First we'll see his rank. My Savior Jesus is the Mighty Army Commander. So the Catechism is explaining the section in the Apostles' Creed about in the Apostles' Creed about Jesus' exaltation, his lifting up into glory. And today we look at the next stage in his exaltation. He has risen from the dead, he's ascended into heaven, and now he sits at his Father's right hand. And the right hand is a symbol of authority and power. It's the place from which Jesus rules. And we can see this authority and power in Psalm two. If you have it open in front of you, I invite you to turn there again. Psalm 2 shows us that Jesus has the number one spot in the universe, the top position, the ultimate boss. In verses 1 to 3, the people in the top positions in this world, they take their stand. They, they conspire against the Lord and His anointed or His Christ. They want autonomy. They don't want to live under God's rule, but they want to live under their own rule. Verse 3, they say, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. They don't want to live under God's rule, but they want to live under their own rule. They don't want to submit to the authority of God's Son. But the psalmist shows us the futility of such a position. Why do you even try, says verse 1? You're not going to get anywhere fighting against God. In fact, he laughs at your puny efforts. But God does more than laugh. In fact, he is also angry. Verse 6, I have set my king on the ho my holy hill of Zion. And just like a, a prime minister is installed in Parliament House, set in Parliament House, so God has enthroned his son. He has put him on the throne. He has set him on the holy Zion. And this throne, it's a, a place of authority and power. I don't have enough hands to change all my pages. 
Firstly, it's a place of authority. Verse 8 says, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So Jesus, the Son of God, he, he has authority over all the nations and over the ends of the earth. He has authority over all the big cities, Toronto, Vancouver, Winnipeg. He has authority over the far north, even places with the sparsest population. And further, Ephesians 1 says that God has set him far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given. This is the seat that he has at the right hand of his father, a seat over all the earth, authority over presidents and parliaments, over town councils, over tribal lords in the jungle, authority over also all the spiritual forces of evil, over Satan, over demons, over evil spirits. Jesus has the top spot, the number one rank. This is the authority that he has at the right hand of God, but he also has power. Verse 9 says that you shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter, dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Think of how easy it is to break this glass. If I was to drop this glass and to shatter it right now, it's very easy to do. And this is the sort of authority that Jesus has over the nations. It's as if he drops the glass, he can shatter them, he can smash them with an iron rod. They will shudder. So how strong is Jesus? Well, Psalm 2 shows us that he has supreme authority and supreme power. As far as armies go, he has the highest rank. He is above all the armies. He is way stronger than Goliath. And this is the authority and the power that Jesus has as he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is number one. He has the top spot. This is the, the authority that he has because the Father has given it to him. Psalm 2 verse 8, the Father says, I will give you the nations. God gives this authority to his Son. And so the Son has this authority from his Father. And that's why the Catechism says that the Father governs all things through his Son. Because he's given him that authority. And further, this authority of Jesus it's manifested specifically in the church. He becomes the head of the church. The Catechism says he ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church. It reflects the language of Ephesians 1, which says that God placed Jesus in the top position to be head over all things to the church, or perhaps better translated as for the church, that is, for the sake of the church. This means that Christ rules all things for the sake of his church, for the sake of you and me, for the sake of his people. This is a tremendous comfort for God's people. The mighty army commander, Jesus, the number one position in the world, he is ruling for the sake of his church, for the sake of his people. He is not disconnected from us as a church, but he is the head. The church is his body. He is connected to the church. He is ruling for the sake of his people. He is using his power to fight for and to defend and to gather his people. And further, as, as the number one ruler, Jesus also deserves full submission. Psalm 2 
verse 10 and 10 to 12, the rulers and the kings of the earth, are, they're called upon to serve the Lord, to pay homage to the Son, because He has authority over them, and this authority needs to be acknowledged. Every knee must bow to Him. As John Calvin said, the purpose of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father is that both heavenly and earthly creatures may look with admiration on His majesty, be ruled by His hand, obey His nod, and submit to His power. The purpose of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father is that both heavenly and earthly creatures may look with admiration on His majesty, be ruled by His hand, obey His nod, and submit to His power. This is the rank of Jesus. Number one, let's now look at his strategy. Because as the number one ruler, what does Jesus do? How does he use this power and authority? The last line of question answer 50 says that the Father governs all things through him. In other words, he is directing all of history. He is working towards that day when all of his enemies will be destroyed. He's working towards that day when his church will be complete, when all of his people will be gathered, when every knee will bow to him, the knees in heaven, the knees on earth, and when all things will be brought into subjection under his feet. He's directing and completing all of history until that happens. And as we consider his strategy, it's helpful for us to remember that he is doing all this as the head of his church. He's directing at all things, as we've seen, for the sake of his church. And that's why the catechism can ask, how does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? In other words, how is Christ's position as number one in the universe, how is it beneficial for the church? The first thing to see is that he gives us gifts by his Holy Spirit. This happened already in Pentecost. Perhaps you remember Pentecost, the Spirit came down in tongues of fire on the apostles in Acts 2. And as a result of the Spirit coming out, Peter preached Christ. He preached Christ as the exalted King, worthy of all worship. Acts 2.36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. Peter preached the exalted Christ as a result of the Spirit's work. And if you've been in Owen Sound over the last couple of months, we've been looking through the first chapters of Acts, and we've seen one thing very clearly, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit as He worked through the apostles, making them bold witnesses of Jesus. The power of the Spirit to create unity in the early church. The power of the Spirit to overcome the sorcery of Simon. The power of the Spirit to convert Saul, who was the foremost persecutor of the church. This Spirit, this Spirit is given to Christ's church as His gift. And this Spirit will continue to work in the church and for the church as Christ's gift from heaven. And one way the Spirit does that today is by equipping all believers, by equipping all of us here today. Ephesians 4 talks about this. Verse 7 says that now to each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one of us, that includes all of you. 
As believers, each of you has a gift from the ascended Lord Jesus. And Peter specifies some of these gifts in verse 11. Apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And then he says that these men are given to the church for the equipping of the saints, for, work, for the work of ministry, for the equipping of service of all the saints. So that means that all of the saints are equipped for the work of serving each other in order that the body of Christ will be built up, in order that we as the church would grow in knowledge of our head, Jesus Christ, that we would grow up into him. So all of you are given the gift of the Spirit. And this is the gift from the ascended Lord Jesus, gifts from Jesus in heaven. And so Christ is not far away from us. In fact, he is pouring out gifts heavenly gifts upon us for the purpose that we as his body will grow up into him, our head. And further, his authority as the number one position, the number one ruler, this authority is what stimulates the mission of the church. When Jesus gave the great commission in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So Jesus' authority over heaven and earth is the reason for his disciples to go out and make disciples. It's because he rules as number one, because he is deserving of complete submission, as we've seen from Psalm 2. And that's why he said to his disciples in Acts 1 verse 8, he said, You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. They would witness him to the ends of the earth, and perhaps you remember that phrase from Psalm 2. The ends of the earth are given to Jesus as his possession. And so because the ends of the earth belong to him, then his apostles could be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, preaching with his authority wherever they went. So they never had to be afraid, no matter where they went. They knew that they had Jesus' authority when they went into Antioch or when they went into Athens or when they went into Thessalonica or when Paul went to Spain. They knew that Jesus ruled over every city they entered, every power they encountered, every demon or every spirit. They knew that Jesus had authority over each one of them, every person they spoke to. They knew that Jesus had authority and this is true today as well. This is true for missionaries, that their mission is stimulated by the authority of Christ. Christ has authority that extends into the darkest corner of the earth. He has authority over every square inch of the earth. And this authority stimulates mission. We don't need to be afraid wherever we go because Jesus is number one. And it's also true for all of us in our day-to-day -day conversations that we have with unbelievers. We don't need to be afraid if people reject us for confessing Jesus as our Lord for the very reason that he is Lord. He has the top position in the world and his authority therefore also gives us the confidence to confess his name. We don't need to be afraid of confessing Jesus because he is ruling from heaven. And so Jesus is building his church through his Holy Spirit by his authority the Catechism also says that he is defending and preserving us against all enemies by his power. You know, the church may look small, 
She may look weak. She may look attacked and helpless. As Christians, we might cower or cringe as we see the power of the enemy, as we just read news headlines, as we see the church shrinking in our society, as we hear about churches closing their doors and not opening them again, as we hear about the rampant spread of ungodliness, the celebration of immorality and evil morals. The church may look very weak, very attacked, but we can be comforted this afternoon to know that there is no enemy that is stronger than our Lord Jesus. There is no power that can defeat Him. Quite the opposite. In fact, Psalm 2, that says that the sun will, will shatter the, the nations like a potter's vessel, like a glass jar. Every power that, that fights against Him is like this glass jar in Jesus' hand, ready to be shattered. So the Son of God, my Savior Jesus, He has the rank as number one in the universe. And he uses this power to gather and defend and preserve his church. We'll see that he will also have the final victory. We get a preview of his victory in Revelation 19 where we see Jesus, the great divine warrior, riding on his white horse, riding out to judge the nations. Revelation 19, verse 11, says that he judges and makes war. Jesus judges and makes war. He is the one who will judge the earth. As question and answer 52 says, Christ is the one who will judge heaven and earth. The Father who has given authority to the Son has also given him this authority to be the judge, to judge all creatures in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the powerful judge. And what a picture we have of him in this section of Revelation 19. Verse 12 says that his eyes were like a flame of fire. And with these, these eyes like fire, he sees into every person's heart. He sees into your heart. He sees into mine. And he examines our minds and our hearts. He judges our thoughts and intentions. He's a judge who, who knows the secret intentions of our hearts. He also has many crowns on his head. You know, the dragon of Revelation 12 had seven crowns. The beast of Revelation 13 had ten crowns. But the rider on the white horse has many crowns. The dragon and the beast may have a limited power for a short period of time, but Jesus' power is endless. No one will be able to escape his judgment. And he also has a robe which is dipped in blood. It's an image which comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah chapter 63, which shows God as a warrior coming to bring judgment with blood on his clothes. Now Jesus has this position of bringing judgment because the Father has made him the judge of the earth, a judge who leads the armies of heaven. And then verse 15 gives three images to show how he will judge the nations. Firstly, out of his mouth coming a sharp sword with which he would judge the nations with. He comes with a sword of judgment. It again reinforces the picture we saw at the start of the sermon of Jesus as a mighty warrior, a mighty army commander. 
The second image is a rod of iron with which he would rule them. Perhaps you recognize that image, a rod of iron. It comes from Psalm 2, which we, we read earlier, where we've seen Jesus' complete control over the nations. His iron rod will rule them. His rank is number one. And then the third image is uh, the image of Jesus treading the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. In the Bible times, they trampled on grapes. They trampled on them to get every last piece of juice out of them. Extract every last piece of juice. It has the idea of a thorough, a complete judgment, treading out every last bit of life out of the nations because they were ripe for judgment. Well, this is the picture we have of Jesus as a judge. And it's a picture which can bring fear, can't it? More than the Israelites were, were afraid of Goliath, Jesus is terrifying for all who do not believe in him. As the Catechism says, he will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. The judgment of God is not something to laugh about. It's going to be terrifying. But did you notice that the Catechism asks the question, what comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? Comfort? Yes, comfort. Because we know that this powerful judge is also our Savior. He has submitted himself to the very judgment of God that he judges with for all who believe in him. Maybe you notice the last line of Psalm 2. It says, Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Jesus who rules from heaven, who will crush the nations. Blessed are all who put their trust in him. Blessed are all those who bow their knee to His sovereign rule and trust in Him for their salvation. Because just like Goliath was terrifying to the Israelites, but a refuge for the Philistines, because His power made the Philistines feel secure, so Jesus' power gives us security. We are on His side. He's using our power to fight for us, and so we're eternally safe in Him. And we can know this. Because as the Catechism says, he has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake. He has removed all the curse from me. And there is therefore now no condemnation for me because I believe in him. And more than that, we can, not only is there no condemnation for us, but we can also look forward to the defeat of God's enemies and our enemies. You know, if you look at things in this world, there are so many injustices. There won't be justice achieved in this life. And sometimes that's really hard for us to accept. We yearn for evil to be punished. We want fairness. Sometimes we just cry out, that's not fair when we see evil in the world, when we see injustice. Sometimes it seems that evildoers prosper. And so it's a great comfort to know that God one day will bring perfect justice. One day everything will be fair. Jesus will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. And so friends, as, as you think about God's judgment this afternoon, can you look forward to Jesus' return with comfort? As the Catechism says, can you eagerly await for him? Or should you be terrified of his should you be afraid of his terrifying power? 
Because one day Jesus will return and he will judge every person. He will judge you. He will judge me. And he will judge every one of his enemies. And he who is ranked number one in the world, who has the supreme power and authority, would send every one of his enemies into everlasting punishment. Are you one of those enemies or are you one who takes refuge in him? Well, if you're terrified of that punishment, of that judgment, then know this this afternoon. Know that we all deserve to be punished with that punishment. We all deserve that judgment of God. Every person here, you and me, we all deserve it. But Jesus, the powerful army commander, is also a savior. He is a savior who submitted himself to the judgment of God and died on a cross to take the curse of God, which was our punishment, so that everyone who believes in him would not be ashamed, would not perish, but have everlasting life with him. And this message is available for all of you, for any of you who believe in Jesus. If you believe that he is your savior, you do not need to be afraid of his judgment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so you can say in faith, I don't need to be terrified of his fearful wrath. Instead, I can take refuge in him. I can be comforted knowing that this mighty power of Jesus, this mighty army commander, the Lord Jesus, he is my savior and he will fight for me. He will fight for me and for, my, for his whole church as his head. And he will take me and all of his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. This will be the final victory that we can enjoy with him. Blessed are all who put their trust in him. Amen.